Hi, this is Allison Josephs, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm still trying to find my way as a radio show host. I've been interviewed many times, but it's kind of weird to be the host herself because I have to come up with the questions, and if I stop talking, then see that happens. Um, and I never actually trained in radio show hosting, but much of what I've done in life, I just sort of give it a try and I sort of learn on the go and it's sort of like a Nasev Anishma. We will do and then we will learn how to approach. That's how the Jewish people accepted the Torah when the Torah was given. Um, first we said we'll do and then we said we'll learn about it. And so that's sort of been my approach to much of life with starting Jew in the City, with making videos, with doing an animated short a couple months ago, now radio show hosting. So it takes a little bit of bravery and maybe a little bit of stupidity to just sort of jump in and figure out how to do it later. But um, it seems to have worked so far. Um, and I, I appreciate you guys coming along on this journey and hopefully I'll get better even as I go along. We have um, some exciting guests coming up today on the show. Um, first up, we're talking to the chief rabbi of South Africa, who just completed the first worldwide Shabbos project. Now, I first heard about the Shabbos project a few months ago. I saw this video on YouTube where last spring, uh, the people of South Africa, I believe 70% of the Jewish people of South Africa, came together to spend one Shabbos together. And what I was so touched by was that it was Jews of all stripes and colors and religious backgrounds and people who had never spent a single Shabbos in their entire life talking about how meaningful it was to them. And it's not like they went and just you know became a religious Jew overnight, but just the fact that they were getting to chan a chance to experience their heritage for the first time um, in a way that enhanced their life and in a way that made them curious to explore more. And I just loved it so much. Um, and I was trying to figure out, is there a way to get involved? And then I actually got an email from the chief rabbi's office saying that he wanted to speak with me, which was pretty cool. Um, so I got to talking with the chief rabbi and um, I planned a lot with him in terms of, you know, media coordination and different people uh, he could maybe bring on to the project to promote it. So um, it's been very exciting and flattering to be involved. Um, and I unfortunately was not able to be involved this year. Um, fortunately, we had a family simcha. My nephew had his bar mitzvah, um, which was a nice time to see um, all my husband's family all, uh, on the my in-law side. Um, but it meant that I did not get to be a part of the Shabbos project formally myself this year. Um, but I look forward to getting to be at a Shabbos program uh, event next year, God willing. Um, and so we're going to um, bring the rabbi on, uh, Rabbi Goldstein, on the line right now and find out from him how things went. Hello, Rabbi Goldstein. How are you? I'm fine. How are you, Alison? Great to speak to you and to your listeners. Yeah, well, great to speak to you as well. So my first question is you've been working on a project about resting. The Shabbos project is all about taking that break and resting, but you are probably completely exhausted from um, months and months of work, is that correct? Uh, yes, um, it, it has been very tiring, although I must say um, absolutely exhilarating and inspiring because, you know, you just see the power of the response. And, and that's the thing about the Shabbos Project. I mean, obviously there was a lot of work and we've got a big team of people who've been working on it for, for many, many months, um, if not almost a year. But actually it's a project which is unlike any other that I've encountered in that it is, it's not hard work. It's that the response of people is so visceral and so strong and so natural 
which has you know led to the fact that in just uh, seven eight months it's um, really been you know spread around to 461 cities and in, in 64 countries and that that, that those are the, the 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 people that participated over this last Shabbos. Wow. Do you have a sense of numbers? How many people w- were involved with the Shabbos project or kept Shabbos this past Shabbos, Parshas Noach? It's you know it's so hard to tell, but um, in the Israeli press there were a lot of articles that people were speculating about um, a million people participating, a million Jews. Wow. Um, but it's it could be that that's conservative. Who knows? I mean, we had there were very strong projects in. Cities like Buenos Aires, where you've got 250,000 Jews in Toronto, 250,000 Jews in uh, Miami, which I think has these days close to half a million Jews, if I'm not mistaken. So, and they, they were very strong, uh, you know, projects and presence in cities like that, and many, many others: uh, London, Sydney, Melbourne. Um, and uh, so, you, if, if you're looking at that, uh, it could be that that's conservative. It's it's so hard to assess. Part of the reason is is that um, you know you, it, it's a worldwide movement now, and it's really uh, taken on such an energy and a life of its own. And we we are in the process actually of gathering the data. We can get a sense of some of the numbers, but when when looking at um, some of the, the events that were hosted, so we know, for example, in in Buenos Aires, for example, that the you know the Chalabag, there were well over uh, four thousand women. Who, who attended in Buenos Aires? We know that, for example, um, in their Hamdala uh, concert, you know, according to their figures that they're reporting in, could be up to twelve, thirteen thousand people. That's just wow. give you an extent of how deep it is. In, in Melbourne, two and a half thousand people at the Chalabay. They're talking about ten thousand people at their Hamdala concert. These are some of the the, the the numbers that are coming in Santiago, in Chile. You know, thousand women at the Chalabay and three thousand at the Hamdala concert. But I think it would also be a mistake to be too obsessed about um, the, the quantity as well, only because there's, you know, there's a tremendous power in the in, in the quality of the experiences, and and that's been so beautiful with the, you know with stories coming through. I mean, just 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 before Shabbos this last week, I got an email from um, a group of women in in Cordova in, in in Argentina, which is a very small Jewish community, and they send photographs of their beautifully laid out tables for holidays. And it was just very touching to see, firstly, how far and wide you know the, the project has gone, but also to see the pride in it and 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 there's the quality of the, these experiences, which is so powerful. How about people that experienced their first Shabbos this past week? Have you heard any feedback from someone who, for the first time in their life, even as an adult, experienced their first Shabbos? Yes, uh, amazing responses uh, from people. Um, you know, that just to say that it was a, an absolute gift. I mean, I was talking to a rabbi today from, from Cape Town in South Africa, and he was telling me that he, um, there, there was a, a young sportsman, a, a swimmer, who was a very, um, very good and famous sportsman in, in South Africa and who uh, participated in the Shabbos project, but he had said he was only going to come on a Friday night because on Saturday morning he was due to receive a medal uh, at a particular ceremony. And uh, after the Friday night, he went over to the rabbi and he said, listen, he's not going to the ceremony. He's just going to keep the rest of the Shabbos. Um, and, mm. you know, there were, there were there was, um, so many stories of people who, who almost you could feel a sense of people discovering a gift which they that only then discovered. Uh, you know, there was, um, I remember even um, after last year's Shabbos project in South Africa, there was a, a good friend of mine 
Steve Brodo, who's the um, CEO of one of the major corporations in South Africa. So he, um, he and his family kept their first, uh, their first Shabbat, and he was, he got young children, and he was so amazed by the experience. And he said, you know, that, that they walked home with their, with their friends and their children's friends, and there was no television at home and no iPads and no cell phones, and it was so mesmerizing, the experience, that, that they decided as a family, whenever there's a birthday in the week, um, you know, of their family, they will keep uh, Shabbos. So they have three children, so that's five times a year. And, and you know, I, I think it's nice, the concept of a birthday, because it symbolizes the gift of what, uh, of what Shabbos really is about. It's truly a gift. Mm, beautiful. So I'm curious. So I know this started first as um, just a, a South African idea, concept. When when did you guys decide or how did you decide? I know that it started because people saw the video and said, we want it to now in the rest of the world. But is there a particular moment where you said, hey, we're just going to try to launch a worldwide? Because I know Jew in the City, is we have sort of a similar thing, a worldwide movement to change how people think. So many people aren't that audacious. But was there a particular moment when your team decided, yeah, we will try to bring this to the entire world? You know what happened was after last year's Shabbos project in South Africa, I started getting emails from all around the world. Um, there was, uh, I don't know, many, many tens of emails from different communities around the world asking if they could also have a Shabbos project. And then we had a whole debate in the team, what are we going to do? You know, do we, we, we'd want to spread it and give it, let as many people as possible share. So we, we were thinking, you know, maybe a different country will run their own Shabbos project in a different month. And then it's actually my wife, Gina, who came up with the idea. She said, well, let's just do one for the whole world. And, and when, when she said that, it all sort of clicked into place. Sure, let, let's do that. And, and um, you know, the, the, the power of the Internet and the power of social media today means that it is possible to ignite a social movement. And that has been the power of the Shabbos Project as a social movement. But at the heart and soul of that social movement is, the, is, is Shabbos. Because it is so powerful and so compelling um, and has such a power, both from a spiritual, emotional, psychological, historical point of view, uh, it, it, it really was the, the, the fuel and the engine that drove this, uh, this incredible social movement. Obviously, you know, we've got a big team in Johannesburg who've been working on it for, for a long time. All the material was translated into eight languages. We're talking about English and French, Hebrew, uh, Russian, Spanish, Portuguese, German, Italian, I think we've got eight languages there, and they, it, it, so the, the, the fact that it uh, spread was, was, you know, the, the power of Shabbos and the deep, deep desire that there is for, for true Jewish unity, that um, I think that so often uh, as Jews, we, we unfortunately only come together in times of trouble. For the sure. last number of months, you know, with the uh, with the Gaza war and all of the the uh, the hostility in the world, Jews came together. But but you know what the the Shabbos project offered people was a chance to come together in unity, where it's not imposed on us from the outside, where it's not forced by the hate of others, but rather out of love for one another and out of a shared common vision. And and that is so much more inspiring. And there's a really deep need for that. You know, there are. Just, I got an email from, uh, from somebody in, in Gateshead in the United Kingdom, and there's the neighboring town is Newcastle, and they're separated by the River Tyne. And uh, they did a, a unity mincha and sudashli shit across in, in, on, on Shabbat afternoon, and a, whole, you know, a large group of people walked from Gateshead to Newcastle crossing the river, 
And, and I think it's, it's a powerful symbolism in crossing that river and finding the unity together, which, was, which in, in some ways symbolizes so much of the, of, of the powerful unity that, uh, that this project brought to the Jewish world. Amazing. I'm sitting here and just nodding my head yes, because this is everything that we talk about, everything that I so much believe in. And it always pains me so much that as Jews, we seem to only come together when there are anti-Semites chasing us and we have to run in the same direction away from them. So um, call a kavod to you and your team to seizing this opportunity to your wife to have the vision of something so big for you guys to dare to do it. Um, now, I'm sure the first thing you want to think about is already next year, right? Do, will you take a, a little bit of a break before you start planning for next year? What, how, when does next year's no, plan? No, we, 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 we started already. Look, we've already <laughs> set a date, um, and that is uh, for Pashat Lech Lecha next year, which will be 23, 24 October, so that it gives a little bit more time after, after Sukkot. Um, and, and that date's already set. The other thing that we really are trying to, that we're going to be doing in the next few months, is, um, is hosting a conference for all Shabbos Project partners throughout the world to come to South Africa, where we'll have a conference of all partners. Uh, we'll obviously have to have translation mechanisms in, in place and have some kind of gathering of United Nations from around the world. And uh, the, the idea will be to share best practices, to, to share and, and build that common vision and to, you know, for um, different communities to share their success stories and at the same time to unveil, you know, um, new, a new look and feel and, uh, and, and, and the vision and the way for going forward because the, the, the power of the response is too, is, you know, is too great, uh, you know, not to, not to work with it and, um, and, and to build on it from year to year because it's not a, it's not a one-sort project. It's something that its real impact will be felt as, uh, as annual uh, where, where it has a chance to shift uh, entire mindsets and a culture within, within Jews all around the world um, in, in the most positive and, and beautiful way, um, but it's the cumulative effect of it. I mean, even in South Africa, we saw last year the participation rates in South Africa were very high, and this year was even higher. We've had so many stories of people who last year didn't keep Shabbos and this year did, and what that meant for them. And, and, and so the, the real power is in the cumulative effect of, of it, and um, it's, it's, it's really something which is, uh, which, which is so, so special, and there's so many special people around the world. And, I mean, I would like to take this opportunity, Alison, to thank you for your tremendous partnership uh, with, with this project, and, and I know that you share so many of, of the values and vision and, and the work that you do in, in, uh, during the city, and I, uh, you know, I commend you for that as well as... Uh, you know, to, to, to thank you for, for being such an, an active partner in, in, in helping with, uh, with the Shabbos project. It is my pleasure. I'm already looking forward to being involved for next year. So please, LaWell, continue to stay in touch. We'd love to have you on again to help create more buzz for October 23rd, 24th, Parshas Lech Lecha, 2015. Mark your calendars now. This is going to be the place to be. Thank you so much for your time. I never thought that I'd get to chat with the chief rabbi of any country, um, and it's been a pleasure working with you and your team, and um, much, much success for, for next year. Thank you, Alison, and all the best to you and your listeners. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Okay, and next up on the show, we have one of Jew in the City's 2014 Orthodox Jewish All-Stars. We're um, psyched for our big event on December 2nd. That's a Tuesday night in Manhattan. Um, and so far, we actually have eight out of our ten Orthodox Jewish All-Stars from 2014 
uh, confirmed for the event and God willing, maybe even more from this year, more from previous years. Um, we're hoping it'll be a really beautiful, fun, meaningful experience. And um, you can get your tickets at jewinthecity.com slash OJ All Stars. Um, the woman that we're jo- is joining us today has actually made world history. She's the first Hasidic woman to be elected and to hold a public office. Her name is Mindy Pollock, and we're going to bring Mindy up on the line right now. Mindy, how are you? Hi. I'm great, um, Baruch Hashem. How are you? I am doing well. Uh, tu parles français? Oui. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. I just asked her if she spoke French. I did a little bit of uh, high school French, so sometimes that was I a like very good accent, it. actually. Oh, thank you. So the truth is that recently I was told by a French person, a French Israeli, told me that I speak French like a Canadian and Hebrew like a French person. So um, that's interesting. <laughs> I can definitely do some right sort in. of accent. I'm just not sure if it's appropriate, but I guess if you're Canadian, then my accent sounds parfait. Um, so, <laughs> très, très, très bien. Oh, merci beaucoup. Um, I could do this all day. Um, so <laughs> first off, so um, what was your reaction when you first heard from Jew in the City that you had been selected as an Orthodox Jewish All-Star? Was that sort of a surprising message to get that day? I was thrilled. Yes, it was very. It was a total surprise. I had no idea that I had even been nominated or what the process was or anything. And I'd seen your videos before, so I knew that it existed. But I had no idea that you did this kind of event or or that there were nominees and, and all star um, events happening. And it was really uh, a big surprise. I told my parents right away. They were thrilled. We were already planning our trip. It was very exciting. It was a, yeah. it was also a huge honor. I mean, I was completely flattered to receive it. Oh, well, we're so thrilled. Um, mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about what your background looked like before you got into politics? Like, what did, you're, you're a visionist, uh, visionist, talk about, okay, visionist, is that what I'm saying right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what did your childhood growing up in, uh, in Quebec look like? Well, I grew up on the border between two boroughs um, on Hutchison Street, and uh, my childhood was a typical Montreal Hasidic upbringing. Um, my family was open-minded, but I attended Hasidic school my entire life. Um, the politics was the last thing on my mind growing up. I actually always wanted to be a writer or uh, something else, but um, it never even entered my mind. It completely fell into my lap uh, unexpectedly. So can you tell us a little bit about, like, what, what did this look like? When did this start? How did politics get on your radar? It started in 2011 when a referendum was going on on my street. A shul was, uh, was trying to renovate and expand a little bit. It's a 100-year-old building. It was a bit neglected, and it needed to be spruced up. They needed a bathroom on the main floor for the elderly members, etc. just basic stuff. And they applied for a permit from the city. They received the permit to do the construction and expansion. But when a certain neighbor on the street heard that that was happening, he did not like the idea and started campaigning, found a loophole that because the shul is a acquired right on the street, an acquired right usage on the street, the neighbors can technically block any construction if they so want to. So he, he assembled a, um, a number of signatures, applied for a referendum, and uh, started campaigning about it. He went to every house on the street except, obviously, the Yiddish houses. And I had a neighbor who I didn't know at the time. Her name is Lila Marshy, and uh, she said she watched these people going door-to-door campaigning. And she said, 
it's strange because they keep skipping doors. Maybe people aren't home. I don't know. And then she realized, no, it's not people aren't home. It's they're deliberately skipping doors that have mezuzahs on them. And she said it made her blood boil. As someone from a Palestinian background, she was very sensitive to, to that kind of thing. And she, started, she said, if, if they can do it, so can I. And she started campaigning for, um, uh, for the Eden. And she went door to door and she left pamphlets all over. And um, my parents received her flyer with her number on it, and my mom said, well, I think we should call her up and thank her for doing this. So we got to know her, we started campaigning together, and then once we lost, unfortunately, the referendum by about 30 votes, um, we said, well, what can we do to help things get better? Because this is not one incident. This is one incident in a long line of many incidents, and things have to change. And we started planning events. Um, around Friends of Hutchison, which had sprung up overnight, and which was a group, um, the first of its kind, of Hasidim and non-Hasidim, non-Jewish people, working together. And we had a public events where lots of people came, and it basically grew from there. And once, uh, once I started, you know, talking to a lot of people, I could see that this was something that was really needed in the neighborhood. And, and we had a lot of support from people. We spoke to a lot of people, got a lot of different points of views, and uh, Projet Montréal, my political party, was elected at the time in the plateau, and they were very supportive of our group, and eventually they suggested that I run for office. Wow. And so how long did it take you to decide to go for it once the, the suggestion was, uh, was raised? It took a while, I have to say. Uh, when they first suggested it, I said, no, I mean, I don't think I can do it. You know, I, I think I laughed. It was such a random, out-there uh, suggestion, something that had never crossed my mind. But, you know, I started thinking about it, and I spoke to my family, and I spoke to my friends, and I spoke to people, and, you know, I mean, I, I vacillated a lot. I went, you know, from yes and no and back and forth. But eventually what clinched it for me was, you know, if I can have a chance, if I have a chance to do something and, and make a change in the neighborhood, how can I not take that opportunity? I couldn't, I felt I couldn't say no to that. And um, were you worried about, like, opinion within your community? Was, was there any fear of how people might take um, a Hasidic woman running for uh, public office? Right. Um, well, because nobody had ever done it before, yes, of course, there, was, there were people that, you know, were a little surprised and shocked at the idea. But um, there was no fear. It was more like I knew that people would be opposed to it, and that was fine because people are entitled to believe the way they want to for different things, you know. And are there any people that supported it that you thought might not support it? Was there, you know, a place where you saw people who were into the idea that you might not have been expecting? or? Yes, absolutely. It was very interesting that um, it was the first time I actually saw um, Hasidic women being interested in a municipal election, which I'd never seen in my entire life. I mean, we all vote, you know, we're, we're good citizens, but there had never been, like, you know, real interest in, like, tell me the issues. And when I was walking up and down the street after I announced I was running, you know, they came up to me and they were like, congratulations, what exactly are you running for? What position is it? What does it mean? What are exactly the issues they were, they were interested in? That was fascinating to me. Very cool. Um, something that we discussed over email um, when uh, we were initially in touch, you said that you also try to break down stereotypes in your you know, everyday life, kind of similar yeah. to what we do here in the city. So yeah. can you give me some examples of ways that you break down stereotypes or stereotypes that you've seen people had that you've tried to address? Absolutely. All the time. Um, I, I address it basically on a daily basis, just 
showing up and meeting meeting new people for the first time, people who have never met a Hasidic woman. And when I speak to them in French and they see that I'm, you know, a normal actual human being to them that's just like that's major they've never they've never thought that you know some people tell me we i wasn't sure i can look you in the eye i wasn't sure i can talk to you it goes from that all the way to funny incidents like when i was campaigning um i was doing door-to-door with a italian friend of mine who lives here now and we came across this group of um, non-Jewish people standing on a corner, one on a Hasidish corner, a street corner, and they were they seemed to be having some sort of uh, tour guide. And I went over and I said, I would love to, you know, hear what they're talking about. And it was a tour guide based on a book that a teacher, a French teacher from a Hasidish school, had written based on her experiences. And the tour guide started speaking, and I listened. And one of the first things he he said was that women, Hasidish women, do not wear gold jewelry. I said, hold on, let me stop you right there. Actually, I'm Hasidish, and I'm wearing gold jewelry right now. And everyone was like, what? And I was like, yeah, we're actually, you know, we are allowed to wear gold jewelry. We have a tradition on one day a year on Yom Kippur that there's a tradition not to wear gold jewelry, but we are allowed to. And it was just, they were shocked. They were, they were completely ready to believe anything that guy said. And for them to have somebody actually Hasidish tell them, no, it's actually different, it was just very interesting experiences. Mm, very cool. Um, do you think that your position um, might change anything for younger women in your community? Do you think that this perhaps might open up more doors for other women that might want to get into politics? Is that a possibility or too soon to say? Or um, It's a good question. I, don't, I haven't really thought about it because, to be honest, this was one thing that, you know, I, w- I was in the right place at the right time and it worked. But is it necessary to have more? I mean, in different communities around the world, you know, the, the Jewish communities are represent, well represented by, by different people. In Quebec, it's a very unique situation where, you know, being a woman and speaking French and working and, and being born here was very advantageous to my campaign. But if it would be necessary in the future, I don't know. I mean, getting people involved on even smaller levels is really what I would like to have happen. Just getting them to know the issues and what's going on and participating in, in debates and, and public events. But as far as office, it's, it hasn't been raised yet. It's not, in, it's not, um, it's not something that's discussed. And have yeah. you considered, um, you know, people were asking uh, Hillary Clinton when she was a senator about her presidency, is, is there possibly another <laughs> uh, campaign in your future? Is, is that on the table? Is that something you would consider? Or um, I would consider it. It depends, to be very honest with you, on what I can accomplish in the next three years. Um, I have very short-term goals and I have very long-term goals. Whatever I can manage to accomplish, great. If I can't manage to do it, then we will need to see what, what, what has to be done in the future for sure. And is there any, like, when, when you heard that you were an all-star besides feeling honored, is there any reason why being an Orthodox Jewish all-star part of Jew in the Cities feels important to you or feels like something that you're, you're proud to be associated with? Like, why the all-stars that we're highlighting each year, is that meaningful to you in any way? Absolutely. I think it's amazing to bring, a fo- you know, to, to present to the greater um, um, public people that have... Um, contributed to society that make important contributions and show them that these people can be religious religious Jews and yet still you know accomplish great things it's not it's not mutually exclusive and it's an eye-opener for a lot of people it's it's just breaking down stereotypes it's very important 
you know, growing up, um, you know, we had uh, Mendy Pellin on the show last week, who was also Hasidic, Lubavitch Hasidic. My only impressions or sort of interactions with the Orthodox community were from the most ultra-Orthodox, from the, the Hasidic Jews that I would see on the streets growing up when we would visit Manhattan. I grew up in New Jersey. And I never, they were never really like personal interactions. It was always sort of seeing from afar and just sort of judging from afar and with all sorts of stories in my head from afar. But um, mm-hmm. you know, having you here, you know, you have, you know, the humanity is it's giving our listeners, I hope, a chance to hear a Hasidic woman speak that, you know, you're human like the rest of us, that, you know, you have similar uh, goals and <laughs> hopes. And um, it's, it's just so important to put um, For humanity sure. behind that's missing it. For sure. I always tell people that, you know, it's easy to speak about, oh, the Hasidic community in Unshima or the Hasidic community there or here. But when we say community, what do we mean? We're talking about a whole bunch of individuals that each have their own path in life, each have their own personalities, different hopes and dreams and goals. You know, it's, 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 we're just human beings like the rest of, of, of the world, and it's very important to bring that point out for sure. 100%. Well, I, I look forward to meeting you, God willing, in a few weeks at our event on December 2nd. Me um, too. And, um, and thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, au revoir. Bye. <laughs> what a pleasure to get to hear from the chief rabbi of South Africa, Rabbi Warren Goldstein, and Mindy Pollack, the first Hasidic woman to hold an elected public office. I didn't actually have a plan or a theme when I started off the show today, but what I realized with my intro about just sort of diving into things, even if they seem big and audacious and you don't know how to do them, that's actually kind of what tied everyone together. I dove into Jew in the City. I dove into radio hosting. Rabbi Goldstein, after his wife's suggestion, dove into a worldwide Shabbos project. And uh, Mindy Pollack dove into running for public office. And what we all had in common was that none of us had ever done it before, ever tried it before, but because we were willing to give it a try, we were able to get it done. So uh, it's maybe a nice thought for everyone to uh, hang on to as we close the show today. What what are you, would you dare to do? What things could you accomplish if you would dare to give them a try? Thank you for tuning in to Jew in the City Speaks. And um, you'll find us here next week um, on the Nachum Siegel Network at 10 o'clock in the morning. Thanks so much. <laughs>